Prepare yourself to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most out of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spiegel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spiegel. This is Andy. Before today's show, I have a quick question for you. Are you currently using Google Paid Ads to grow your e-commerce business? You know, those Google Shopping Ads, Google Search Ads, or even Google Remarketing Ads? Well, if you are, then you will be interested in an all-new video training that I filmed that details the number one strategy for growing your e-commerce business using Google Paid Ads. What's this number one strategy, you ask? Well, you'll have to check out the video. But I can tell you the strategy works and the video is absolutely free for my listeners. Type in www.makeeachclickcount.com forward slash video and check out the recent video that I filmed that details the number one way I use to grow my private clients' e-commerce businesses using paid Google ads. Again, the URL is www.makeeachclickcount.com forward slash video and it's absolutely free to watch. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spleichel, and today we're happy to welcome our next guest to discuss the topic of why it is important to have great copy and how you can best do so. He is the CEO of a SaaS company called Wordable, and he runs two successful agencies in the content production and the digital PR industry. Doing this all while living in Hawaii with his wife and three daughters and enjoying exploring the islands, hiking trails and beaches. Say hello to Brad Smith. Hi, Brad. Hey, Andy. How's it going? It's great. It's great. Thank you for joining us today. Now, before we dive into today's topic, which is the importance of great copy, let's first hear a little of your backstory and what ultimately led you to do what you are doing now. Uh, yeah, definitely. So I started uh, doing a lot of this stuff, uh, I don't know, 10 plus years ago. Uh, I think I've been self-employed for around that time. I worked probably like a lot of people. I worked in-house at a few different positions, like in marketing teams. Then I went out on my own and did consulting and freelancing, then started an agency uh, and grew that and then started another one and grew, <laughs> and grew that. And so I guess my background started in uh, in SEO and uh, on the nerdier side of marketing and figuring all that stuff out kind of the hard way. Mm-hmm. From there, it, it's it's transitioned and doubled down into the intersection with content specifically because SEO has just become so difficult over the last 10 plus years and complex. And it's it's in, in my mind, it's really difficult to do all of it really well. So you, you kind of need to specialize and, and get really good at the individual pieces or or parts of it, and that's kind of what we've done the last uh, few years. Okay, okay. And you're based in Hawaii, right? I am, yeah. We are currently on Oahu and uh, moving over full-time over to Kauai uh, pretty soon, so excited about that. 
Now, I imagine living living in Hawaii, you know, I've never been there, but I imagine that must be a blessing and a curse with all the distractions. <laughs> have, have, have you always been in Hawaii? No, I've been, I grew up in California and then lived in Denver for a few years. Uh, Hawaii's great. It's, it's actually not that bad, especially if you're on a slower part of the island where pace, the, the, you know, the, the pace of life outside of the internet uh, is nice and slow and uh, relaxing and people are nice and friendly and things just, you know, get down a little slower when you log in. Uh, and when you start, you know, talking to people on Slack and answering emails and doing Zoom calls, that's when it gets a little hectic and crazy. But uh, you, the biggest downside is just waking up for, you know, super early for phone calls. That's the, uh, the, the time zone change is always a little tricky, but overall you can't really complain, you know. Sure. Now, how do you manage it? How do you run three companies and balancing your time with your, you have three daughters and a wife. How, how do you balance it all? What's your secret? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish there was a secret. Uh, I, to me, the three kind of entities all are super, super related. And so it makes it a lot easier in my head in that um, it, it's not like one is a, you know, e-commerce site and another was like a brick and mortar and, and they, they aren't related or in the same space. So to me, it's all kind of like, the, the work being done under one entity relates to the work being done in the others too. So it's, it makes it a little easier because there's, there's some overlap then between like the teams and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when I always struggled getting our, my first business codeless off the ground uh, years ago, because I, I was never good at building processes and systems and teams and all that kind of stuff. And so the short answer is we've become a lot better at that. And so as the agencies have started to largely run themselves and we have senior people in place that are making most of the day-to-day -day decisions, um, as that's happened, it obviously frees up a lot of my time too. So uh, I'm able to focus more on like either longer term stuff or uh, rebuilding and revamping and this, this new um, SaaS product called Vertible. Um, otherwise, I just, you know, get up early. Uh, I, I'm able to end relatively early too, which is nice. Um, and so it's, like I said, it's not, uh, it sounds like a lot, but it's, it's fairly manageable. Now, speaking of Wordable, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. You're the CEO and it's a SaaS company, S-A-A-S. Can you explain what, what a SaaS company is for those that might not know? Yeah, exactly. So it's software as a service. Uh, basically back in the day when you used to acquire, acquire software, uh, you had to buy like a, an annual license or uh, a lifetime license and then download it to your computer and all that kind of stuff. And SaaS mm -hmm. is just uh, essentially just making this available for like a, a much lower monthly fee. Um, I believe Salesforce was maybe the first to popularize it. I don't know if they were the first to like create the concepts, but um, essentially the, the tool came out, we acquired Wordable about a year ago. The, the tool helps people move content and publish it extremely fast. And so to give you an example, in our agency, we publish something like three, 400 articles a month. And it's very time consuming to have uh, not just an editor, but, but people after the fact, like an account manager, a project manager, go through the content and like proofread it, make sure it looks good, make sure it meets the client specs, and then upload, format, and optimize each piece of content when you're doing that much volume. So we're having to do all that stuff manually and Wordable essentially will just automate everything. So you can take a piece of content from Google Docs or you can take like 10 pieces of content and automatically move them into whatever website uh, or content management system you're using and just kind of automate the whole publishing process. 
And so you license that ability to other agencies, to e-commerce companies, or, or who, who are your clients with Wordable? Yeah, it's, it's largely two main uh, agencies is one bulk because like the pain point we feel, um, we have clients on a bunch of different tools and systems. And so you kind of have to like adapt to what everyone's using. So agencies is one big uh, customer base. And then the other big customer base is uh, marketing teams who might be publishing a lot of content or working with like a lot of different writers. And it's always, again, it's always tricky to, cause you don't want your writers or people like that getting bogged down with this type of like tedious manual labor usually. So um, those are the two, the two big sec. And then it's just a, it's just like a small or you know, relatively smaller monthly payment as opposed to some, some type of bigger uh, license. Now let's switch gears and, and talk about copy for a minute. You are a pretty celebrated copywriter. I see you've been highlighted by the New York Times, Business Insider, Next Web, MarTech Today, Marketing Land, Moz, Shop, I mean, a whole bunch of them. How did you become such a proficient copywriter? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I originally was writing a lot for free because I'd know their options <laughs> to get my name out. So I've, I've been self-employed for maybe like 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't probably do it the smart way in that I didn't really have a network of people that knew me. I didn't really work in another agency with clients that knew me. Um, I didn't really have any industry connections. Uh, so basically I became self-employed and then I had no way to sell my stuff and I had no idea what I was doing. And so I started just by writing and pitching sites because I knew I could do that and I knew I enjoyed it. Uh, fast forward a few years and it started to snowball in that um, a couple bigger sites that I was writing for offered to pay me to become a kind of like a recurring column in a sense. Um, much bigger sites that started to see me on those places and then also uh, want me to write for them. And so pretty soon I was writing for a ton of different large sites and making decent money at it and kind of realized that uh, a lot of the other stuff I was trying to do, a lot of the other services that we were trying to work on um, could, could probably be a lot more effective if we were doing it through this type of long form content. Cause it's really difficult to write interesting, unique stuff for very technical uh, products for business audiences. A lot of times it becomes very like dry or, or you have to water it down too much. And it's, it's just kind of like a, a pain point that a lot of these companies come across. And I kind of backed into finding that I, I was like a decent fit, both in that I had the, the marketing and the business background to understand like what they're trying to do and how to, how to convey that. And then also the writing ability to uh, make it clear and concise and somewhat enjoyable to read, hopefully. Now, have there been any copywriters that have inspired you in your, in how you produce your copy or your system yeah. methods? Yeah, definitely. I mean, today, a lot of our stuff tends to be a little more systemized um, just because we are an agency and we do a lot of volume. We work with a lot of big clients who generally, if we're, we're doing a lot of content, even for one client with a bunch of writers, they often want it to sound similar to each other. Um, so it tends to, we tend to have more of a, a formulaic type uh, guidelines for those types of writers. But for me personally, it was at the time reading a lot of like really good writers um, who were out there. And then also reading just, I, I always was, I always gravitated towards writers who had something interesting to say and wrote it in a unique way. And, and a, a perfect example of that in a completely different space would be someone like Anthony Bourdain, 
who's, who was obviously more well known for like his, uh, his food uh, work and his TV. But if you, he actually started as a writer and if you read his writing, uh, the, the voice and the tone that comes across that he was able to come up with and just the, the crazy kind of personality that he would be able to inject in it was always, uh, that, that kind of stuff was always really interesting to me. So I, I tried to bring personally something similar like that to uh, any of the writing that I did where I would try to bring some kind of like uh, just just come some kind of like personality, some kind of snark, something to make it sound a little different and a little more um, informal, uh, like and, and something that was more enjoyable to read. It wasn't just, you know, like another list post that uh, that no one on the internet needs to read another of <laughs> in yes, their yes. lifetime. <laughs> yeah, boring boring doesn't pay, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I mean, there are a lot of copywriters out there, like you, even the classic copywriters. Uh, I'm sure they're all escaping me right now, uh, of course, but a, a lot of the, the classic copywriting books, um, classic copywriters in and around business and marketing, I've kind of gone through all of them. And I, I think doing, we, we do content marketing for a lot of like growth and SEO, but a lot of the fundamentals still come back to copywriting and the style of copywriting still contradicts most of what people learn in school is good writing. And so I think that that's an important skill that people need to understand and learn more about. And, and how do you make, how do you make something, especially something long and difficult and technical, interesting? And, and you do that through uh, the kind of copy, like the old school copywriting skill set. Now the old school, are you're talking like a David Ogilvy or yep. Dan Kennedy or who, yeah, exactly. Who okay. Yeah, exactly. All those, even like the way I look at marketing today, it, it should be based more on how marketing was defined in like the sixties where marketing influenced product pricing, distribution, all the classics. Uh, they, they didn't just like run Google ads for people or they didn't just like manage uh, a team and, and have no say over all those things. And so um, I definitely think a lot of the, if you look at those types of old, you know, quote unquote old school ads, or if you look at like written ads from the sixties, it's actually not that different from what we're doing today. We're just doing it online in like a new medium. Now I see where you've been quoted as saying that you're on a mission to slay awful content one blog at a time. <laughs> <laughs> what are some common copywriting blunders that you see out there? Yeah, I think, uh, there's a lot. How much time do we have? No, I think, um, I think a couple of them off the top of my head, if you think of uh, most content on the internet comes across as fairly generic. And what I mean is it lacks, usually lacks specificity. So it usually lacks concrete examples and like actionable, insightful information. And that's usually a pretty good indication that not just that the writer is weak, but that it's a freelance writer and they don't actually know the space they're talking about. And so I think a lot of times people, um, I hope, and I think the world is moving to a place where the only stuff that's actually breaking through any of the noise today is stuff that's done by experts. And what that means is like from a practical standpoint is if we, we know how long an article should take for a writer, uh, when we manage and, and monitor this stuff internally. If something is taking a writer longer than it should, it doesn't mean they're a bad writer. It usually, it usually means they don't know what they're talking about in that specific space or on that specific topic. And so I think that's probably like the biggest one that I see is kind of this generic kind of fluffy watered down average kind of content that doesn't really like say anything new or unique or, or connect with like a customer in a way that actually would, 
would want to build trust with them and, and get them to like try their tool or service or whatever. And I, I think a lot of that comes back to people are looking or, or trying to use kind of like generic cheapest writers they can find versus um, people who actually kind of know what they're talking about and, and know the space inside and out. Interesting. You know, in the same spirit, what, what are some of the common myths that you hear about copywriting? Uh, myths. I mean, maybe a related one to this is always uh, that's too expensive or that writer's too expensive or this content is too expensive, that kind of an idea. So usually I find after doing this for a long time, I, I find that companies and people often view marketing as one of two things. It's either they either view it as an investment or an expense in that they're, they're investing something into content that's going to have a long-term payoff. The ROI is going to grow over time. Um, or they're just trying to like ticket off their box and then do it as cheaply as possible. Mm. And I think the problem that we see, especially, and, and I'll give you another example. We hired developers uh, for Wordable to help us rebuild everything. Um, it's the same with writers as it is with uh, developers or any like really good skill set like that. It's you should be looking at like the value you're getting, not the costs necessarily that you're associating with it. Y yes, you like everyone needs to stick within a budget. But for example, with higher paid people, like the higher, like that, the most well-paid people in our organization often get stuff done the fastest. And so it often takes them less time. And if you, if you think about it that way, there, there's less editing involved, all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, the cost ends up being roughly the same because we're not paying for a lot of extra work or extra editing and uh, extra problems or taking them three times longer to do it. Um, and it's the, the value we're going to get from that is going to be so much better because the quality is so much better too. Now, do you still do your own copywriting or are you overseeing a team? Are you the, the head copywriter in charge or are you an I, active copywriter managing, I guess? I do, yeah, exactly. I do uh, very little writing these days. Um, our team, we have about 50 plus writers that we work with uh, every month. And so we have like a much broader team who manages all that kind of stuff. I will still do copywriting and uh, writing for our own projects. So for example, like with Wordable, we just rebuilt it, we're relaunching it. So if it, when it comes to like website copy, when it comes to uh, blog content, that sort of thing, I'll still get involved in those areas. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not usually the one writing on an ongoing basis for clients. Um, I've done... I've done a lot of that in the past. And so I'm sure, as you know, and others have who've done this, uh, there's a certain point where maybe you kind of burn out and just need to do something different for a little while. <laughs> now, speaking of, of clients, what, what are some of the top benefits of content, especially, you know, most of the listeners here, e-commerce? What, what are some of the benefits for producing unique, well-written content for their website? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think there's two ways to think about it. Um, number one, content's usually the best way to build that brand recognition and that kind of like ongoing customer loyalty. So that, that extends to like emails you write, that extends to videos you send out, that extends to social clips that you're sending out. If, if you're able to do it well, then you're able to better leverage like your internal resources and time, and you're able to re-engage people that already know who you are and build that kind of brand awareness um, simply through content. So essentially, you're, you're able to do it at scale. Uh, and, or like kind of a, an example of that would be if you think about ads, uh, ads are great, especially for e-commerce. The problem is all these ad 
networks online are auction-based and they're all going to get more expensive over time. So in other words, you might be able to bring in like an amazing Facebook advertiser who's able to find some quick wins and optimize your account and bring your cost per click down a little bit this month or the next six months. But in the next year, two years, five years, that those ads are only going to get more expensive. And the difference with content is that it's kind of an inverse relationship where it takes a lot longer to ramp up. Uh, but that based on how like search engines work and all that kind of stuff, um, the value of content only grows over time and your ROI only grows um, over time where this month, for, for example, if you did one article a month, let's say for five years in year five, you're probably going to get like 500% more traffic uh, without doing or that much work or without investing that much work five years from now. So it's, it's kind of a different relationship in terms of how, um, how you view kind of like the, the, as we talked about earlier, the, the investment versus the expense or cost mindset. Now you mentioned uh, one article a month, where, where would you post that article? Like if you're an e-commerce company, where would you use this article? Uh, we, we would always recommend everything go on your site first. Uh, so the reason for like, that, like a blog or yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It, it could be a blog. It could be whatever format you would like to see. So it could be a blog. It could be a, a page. There's, there's reasons for doing long form content on pages, for example, um, that we can get into, but they, they tend to go get fairly nerdy quickly. But for, for the, the biggest reason is for two things. It's, it's owned media. Um, it's stuff that you can reuse and recycle. And it's stuff that is actually going to give you that benefit five years from now, putting, putting that content first on a social network is, is like playing with fire because it's going to be temporary and you're not going to own it any longer. And it's not going to really provide you that value three or four or five years from now. Um, so everything always should go on your site, on your blog first, and then you can take and repurpose stuff from that for all those different networks. So for instance, we might have, we might have like the written content on our site, but then we might also have a video person come in and do video summary of it. And then we cut up those video clips and then we post those on social media. So repurpose, repurpose. Yep. Now you had mentioned SEO and it's getting more difficult. Where do you find content in specifically good content as a piece of SEO? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a, a massive piece of it. And the reason for that is if you look at how sites rank and why sites rank and why people search for certain things and then certain examples come up, it all comes back to content at the end of the day. So again, it could be, this could be like a local directory listing. It could be a, it could be a product feature page. It could be a blog post at the end of the day people are looking for certain things to solve their problems and pain points. So most often people aren't going to the internet and saying, what is the best CRM alternative to Salesforce? Like they're usually not starting there. They're usually starting mm -hmm. with, how do I better manage my customers? How do I automate my follow-up messaging? How do I uh, make more money from my email list? Like they usually start with those education and information type queries or, or uh, searches exactly Problems. and, and yeah. exactly and, and the way then that you show up for those is by creating more content to line up with those things so it's, it's kind of like at the end of the day it comes back to it a lot and yes there's technical seo that determines whether or not that content's going to be found and you know yes there's pr and link building that you'll need especially if you're in like 
really competitive areas. Um, you, you'll need people to find that stuff and to share that stuff before you know you'll ever get like the the quote unquote authority to rank well. Um, but at the end of the day, again, if if you don't have the content and if you're not consistently publishing that kind of stuff, then it's always going to be an uphill battle. Now, speaking of problems, if a company out there wants to hire a content writer, where do they start? Should they go to an agency? Should they look to hire a freelancer? Should they try to develop some in-house talent? What, what are some tips you could share? Yeah, definitely. Um, they should do one or multiple of those things, depending on kind of where they're at. So there's there's pros and cons to freelancers, in-house people, and agencies. And I, again, I kind of learned this firsthand because I did all three. I worked in-house at places and hired people, and then I was out on my own doing freelancing. And then I started an agency and kind of grew that. And so I think each kind of you know spoke of the wheel has, has its own benefits, pros and cons. So for example, if you're depending on your size and depending on your budget, depending on the type of content you're trying to produce, all these things should kind of get factored in. So if you're, if you're trying to create new, you know, top of the funnel content, so that content we were just describing where you're trying to solve pain points and problems and it's education-based and, and that sort of thing. And if, if your budget is on the smaller end, so you wanna maybe test a few different freelance writers, that's gonna give you often the most flexibility because you can ramp those those people up and down. Um, you, hopefully the, the the freelancers are good enough in that they, they do know your space, they know enough about your space to be able to sound you know intelligent when they write about it. Um, it they're, they're often, you know hopefully again, should be a little easier to manage. Whereas an in-house person is typically better at knowing like your product or your business inside it out. They're gonna know way more about um, if, if you do have some really technical product or space, like they're going to know all the ins and outs, they're going to know like the, the common customer complaints and issues. Um, they're they're going to be a lot better to write content around your company and your brand and how mm -hmm. you see certain things and trends in the, in the space, that sort of thing. The problem with in-house writers is that they often get pulled into a million other things. So they get pulled mm -hmm. into emails, they get pulled into meetings, they get pulled into proofreading other people's stuff. And what happens is um, they're not able to like hit the same kind of output. So they're not able to often write a significant amount over the course of the month. Yeah, no, they're distracted. Um, for sure. Exactly, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's just common. It just happens all the time where you think, you think, um, you think they're gonna be able to do a certain amount, but they can't. And again, usually it comes back to they're getting, they're getting their attention is getting pulled in all these different areas. Yeah. Um, freelancers help that for sure. But the, the, the common downside with freelancers is you don't always understand or factor in how much time you have to manage everything and coordinate everything. So how do you get five freelancers to write the same way or to write to a certain spec mm. um, or work with them long-term? What if a freelancer gets sick one month? What if they get a better mm. client in the next month? What if you know, what if they just are late on some of their stuff? Um, are the freelancers going to do all their own keyword research? Yes or no? Are they going to be the ones optimizing and publishing the content in your website for you? Or do you need someone internally? Like, so so working with freelancers, it solves that problem a little bit with the in-house people, but not completely because there's still a lot of that soft kind of management cost that, that needs to get associated with it. Agencies kind of do the whole thing for you. And so usually the, the downside with agencies is the sticker shock. So they, they tend to cost a lot more on paper than some of those alternatives. However, the difference is if they know, if they do know your space and if they do work in your space, it's usually a lot easier because you can almost outsource the entire thing. So mm. as an example, when someone hires us today, we don't just give them like one writer, we give them a team of people. So they have an account manager, a project manager, 
multiple writers, editors on staff, um, also like the strategy people. So if, if you, or if a company doesn't know how to properly do like an SEO strategy, that's also where someone like an agency with those people in house um, becomes a lot more, you know, a lot better. And uh, another example, when we acquired Wordable, um, I'm, I'm not a super technical person. And so we had to hire like a really good lead developer to help also help us manage other developers. Cause I'm not the person to kind of manage that project. If you know what I mean? So it's kind of a similar thing with agencies where you want to see, do they have the ability to produce a lot of content and have they done it before in your area? And if so, are you also getting kind of access to this broader team of skill sets that you don't currently have uh, internally? No, that's great. That's great. Hey, speaking of Wordable, how can Wordable help a company with their content production? Yeah, definitely. So often, often what happens is companies will, again, like we've talked about, they'll hire writers or they have writers internally. Often those people are writing in maybe an Evernote, they're writing Google Docs, they're writing in, 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 a, in a writing app, like a Ulysses on your Mac device. And so what happens is some, oftentimes people need to collaborate and approve this content and all that kind of stuff. The issue always comes back to uploading, formatting, optimizing that content properly. And so as an agency on the agency side, we see it usually takes an average of like 30 to 60 minutes per piece of content. An example would be if you or a writer writes an article inside Google Docs, you have to then export that information. You have to clean the code when you copy and paste it over. Because a lot of times if you copy and paste content from one tool into, into like a Shopify or into a big commerce even, it'll inject all this bad code that messes with your formatting as yeah. it's why you start seeing like your certain lines not coming across properly or certain things missing um that's one issue the other issue is images so you have to bring all those images over still and you have to do that manually a lot of times again if you don't do it properly what happens is you um for example this happens a lot on e-commerce sites you don't crop you, you take all these beautiful product images or you hire some expensive like you know photographer or or company and they take these product images that are massive in file size and they're they're huge they're, they're huge files and a lot of times those aren't properly like cropped down and uh, compressed so that they load quickly on a website and it often slows down your website mm, so it helps with the site speed as well exactly yeah there's all these there's all these little details like that when you when you start really thinking about what's involved in properly doing a lot of content um, that Wordable essentially just automates. So you connect your writing source, if it's Google Docs, you connect your um, content management system, like if it's Shopify or BigCommerce or whatever, and then you could apply the same settings and you could just grab, like you could just click and select five or 10 different documents and then uh, click export and basically move them all over instantly. And Wordable does all this stuff in the background to kind of like make sure that your site's gonna load fast, it's gonna look right, um, and it's going to work well for search engines kind of over the long term. So usability. So usability. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Now, how can, can somebody learn more about you or working with Wordable or, or your agency? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the best place to go would probably be wordable.io. Um, we have a lot of stuff there on the, on the blog as well about some of these topics we've talked about, like, like content optimization or even content planning. Like how do you, how and where do you start a lot of these things? Um, my, my content marketing agency is Codeless. And that's at getcodeless.com. Uh, we do a lot of content marketing for a lot of big companies like monday.com and a lot of other like big stuff in the SaaS space. And then we have uh, my other agency, Usurp, is PR and digital link building. So essentially like 
once you publish all this content, if you are in a competitive space, how do you actually get that stuff to rank and perform and to bring in more customers and all that sort of stuff. And so that's where all the, all the little, all the little things I'm working on are kind of interrelated. Now, before we wrap it up today, what would you like to say to a business owner out there listening that might say, well, I've been struggling to grow my business and I, I really would like to add some fresh content, but, but how should I get started? Yeah, definitely. I think it often comes down to figuring out what's doable. So if you are short on time and you're the business owner, in, in a way you think you want to save time or money by doing the content yourself but maybe that's probably not the best use of your time because this is a long-term thing. So that the article you write and post tomorrow is not gonna, probably not gonna bring in customers. It's what's we're gonna bring in customers over the long-term are you know, 100 articles that have been published over the last year. Um, and so if, it's, if it takes you, if, it, if, you, if you, excuse me, if you sit down and it takes you four hours to write one article and you have to do that multiple times a week or every week, that adds up to a lot of time. So I think you need to figure out what's doable for your own kind of schedule. And a lot of times, maybe that means maybe you hire, you know, a freelance writer or two, and then you sit down and do, and they interview you for, let's say two hours a week, two hours a month. And then they're able to go out and write four articles based on that uh, on an ongoing basis. So I, th I think the key is to be kind of realistic about your own limitations in terms of time and then figure out how do I actually stick to an ongoing weekly and monthly schedule. Um, if, if, cause this is an ongoing long-term play and I, it, it's often uh, good to try to sit down and do a bunch of stuff in a short amount of time, but that's not often where you see the best results with this kind of stuff. So it kind of needs to work with your schedule and, and your temperament and all those things. That's great. Well, thank you. Those were some fantastic tips and, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's it for today. Remember, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding Brad or connecting with him, you can do so through his website and you'll find the link in the show notes. In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business using paid ads, request to join the Make Each Click Count Facebook group. I've been releasing some all new free live trainings and more will be happening soon. In the meantime, remember to stay safe, keep healthy and happy marketing. And I will talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to discover how to do it faster, invest in themselves and their business through Make Each Click Count University. Join our private Make Each Click Count Facebook group or send us an email to info at makeeachclickcount.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing.